we have an awesome, awesome care and prayer team here at Hope Des Moines. That's one of the teams that I forgot uh, to mention. But they're out visiting in the hospitals. They're getting meals for people. They're visiting people. They're visiting you in your homes. And so I feel like we do a really good job of that. And that's important. So we want to be facing inward in some ways. But if we're not careful, we can assume that when we're comfortable... And I'm not talking about like if you break your leg, yes, we want you to be comfortable, right? We assume when we get safe and cozy and comfortable in our church experience, that's Jesus' goal for us. Jesus came to make me comfortable. And I hate to break it to you, but I don't see that anywhere in those Bibles that you're holding this morning. That was not Jesus' mission. But a lot of times we find ourselves maybe not saying this, but thinking, you know, that's the goal. I've, I finally found the perfect life group. We've got the perfect amount of members in our life group. I've got my Sunday routine down. I go, I know who my friends are. I know where I'm going to sit. I'm doing my thing week after week. And that's the goal. I've got my people that I talk to. So why would I talk to anybody else? Because the people sitting around me, you're just weird. Well, I hate to break it to you, but we weren't weird before you got here, and then everything just went haywire. <laughs> you might even say, you know, I'm, I might even volunteer and do a service project once in a while, John, if I can fit it into my schedule. And I'll be the first to admit, I've been there. I've been in that mindset when it comes to church is, what can I get out of it, rather than what could I bring? And I remember the exact moment when God hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. You ever had one of those moments? It was about six years, five and a half years ago, when I had just started working at Lutheran Church Hope. Some of you know this. Uh, some of you have never heard this before. Um, I was once a young 25-year-old punk kid. Now I'm a young 30-year-old punk kid. And so I've really grown up a lot. But when I first started at Lutheran Church of Hope, I was hired on a Tuesday, and we launched this church on a Sunday, like four days later, okay? So it was a pretty steep learning curve, right? And I was supposed to preach that first week. And I'm sitting there on a Friday afternoon in our worship center out at the, the West Des Moines campus, which is slightly larger than this, um, and, and, and I, which that doesn't matter, but I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to write my sermon and I am paralyzed by fear. Like I am frozen. I'm... You might think, well, John, doesn't he have an issue getting up in front of people? I had an issue getting up in front of people. I couldn't even type one word on my sermon because I was paralyzed by fear. And you might be saying, John, why? What's, what's going on? Like a week, <laughs> a week into it, I'd gone on a little tour of the city. And I'd talked with our different mission partners and I'd listened to our different leaders. And I was in a daze and I was paralyzed by fear. Because it hadn't taken me long to realize that within a few miles of us, right here as a school where we worship, there's, I know there's many of you that don't have proper housing. And that bugs me. It really does. I, like, it hurts me for you. And I remember that feeling. There's children that have been abandoned by their parents that are walking around the streets. I don't know if you knew that. Right here, like all around us, there's people standing in line every single morning at different 
food pantries and, and outreach ministries wrapping around the buildings to get some hygiene products. Um, there's dozens of refugees that Des Moines is one of the highest concentration of refugees that come here in, in the nation of, of people that have been, they've seen their family members get shot or killed because of civil war and, and violence in their home country. There's more children than ever, especially in this school, probably about 75% that don't have fathers in the home. There are homes right next to existing churches in this area that are falling apart piece by piece, inside and out. Talk about a rough first week on the job, right? Or so I thought. And so there I sat. I remember the exact seat that I, that I was sitting in, in, in the worship center out there at Hope West Des Moines. And I just remember, <laughs> I just remember thinking like all the reasons why I was not, that they made the wrong hire for Hope Des Moines, right? That I am, <laughs> I am not, the th- I'm just going to pack up my bags and try something else because this is way too difficult. This is way too hard. I'm from Story City, okay? I don't know anything about big city ministry. I don't know anything that, if you're going to be an inner city pastor, you've got to know all about diversity. And folks, the only diversity I knew was the Swedish Lutherans and the Norwegian Lutherans and the German Lutherans. That's all the diversity that I knew, okay? So I don't know how to work with people that are different than, than I am. And it just felt like the need was too great. And so I was frozen and I, and I was paralyzed. And I don't know about you, but when you hear things on the news or when you hear things like that about our own neighborhoods here, there's two reactions that we normally have. And one of them, I think, is, is just kind of like pessimism, right? It's just like, well, the world's just just all messed up and broken, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's just too messed up, so why even care? And the other, one, the other reaction, I think, is apathy, where we just say, you know what, all, John, all those things you mentioned, they don't really affect me, so I'll just let somebody else deal with it. And we get into that mode of thinking a lot as Christians, or our reaction is fear. And we kind of get paralyzed by that, and that was me. And so I'm sitting there, and I look up and out, and right in the middle is that. And it is like a, I don't know what that is, like a 50-foot cross. And the first thing that I'm like sobbing, and the first thing that goes through my mind is, holy cow, that's a huge cross, right? And the second thing is like right after that kind of goofy moment, is when God comes in and he starts to speak in that still, quiet voice. And he says, John, would you start there? Would you start there and give all those burdens that you've put on your shoulders and give them to me? Because they're not yours to carry. And he said, this has never been, it is not right now, and it will never be your church. God says, it's my church. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. And God says, give those people to me. And every week I do that when I pray for you. I say, I can't carry all this on my own. It's too much for me to carry. And that's why we do church as a team. That's why we have a staff. That's why we have leaders. That's why all those people that I mentioned earlier, that's why we do church together. And God says, it's, John, it's, it's not about you. In fact, 
It's not even about the people that are already here. And I looked out at all the 2,500 empty seats. And it's almost like God said, what if every single one of those seats represented somebody that has never and will never step foot in a church building? In West Des Moines or here or Ankeny or Johnston Grimes? What if every single one of those empty seats represented somebody that in order to reach them, we're going to need to go and be the church, not wait for them to come to a church building? And so I started to dig into God's word and pray about this and say, God, what do you think about all this stuff around us in Des Moines? And he led me to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And you've probably heard this before. Let's put that up on the screens. If you can read that, let's read this together from Micah chapter 6. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Notice it says, this is God's desire for his people and has been since the Old Testament. Notice it says, love mercy. (laughs) Not fit it into your schedule or when it's convenient for you, but love it. A.K.A. have a passion for it. And if God's telling us this, don't you think that God is passionate about justice and mercy issues? This is not a political agenda. This is not a personal agenda. God says it's God issues because they're my people and I love them. And I've been loving Des Moines long before ever you got here in your silly little church, John. Before any of you got here, God says, I have been pursuing these people and I am with them. Love mercy. And it seems difficult, though, to walk that out when we try to muster up the passion by ourselves. So a few days later, that, that next week, after our first service here, I'm, I'm talking with a mentor, and I'm telling him about all my struggles and how it's been so hard to start, and I don't even know what to do. Um, and he just stops me, and he says, John, I think that you need to ask God one thing, and one thing only. And I'm like, okay, probably for more money or a bigger building, more people. And he says, no, the one thing you need to ask God for is to break your heart. Uh, Come again? What was that? John, you need to ask God to break your heart for the people that God's called you to reach. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a passion way. Do you love the idea of playing church more? than the people that you're trying to reach? Do you care more about what people think of you and what people think of your church than if you're being faithful to the mission that I've called you to? And so a week later, Tiffany and I decided to go for a walk. And I remember exactly where we were, and we're going for a walk at night, and we come to one of the street corners. And we'd, we'd walked this before, before I took the job, and I'm thinking, man, do I really want to come to Des Moines? You know, this is kind of some rough areas of town that we're looking at, and my wife and I are walking, and we come to this intersection, and we just stop. And I put my hand on Tiffany's shoulder, and I said, let's just stop, and let's listen. Let's not talk. Let's just listen. See what we hear. So we hear dogs barking. We hear car doors slamming. We hear sirens going off. We hear husbands and wives screaming at each other. Maybe even a gunshot or two, depending on where we were. And maybe in the midst of it all, a church bell ringing. And I remember looking at Tiffany after praying through it that week. 
And I remember I looked at Tiffany and I said, I wonder what Jesus hears when he listens to the city. Like when he hears those things, when he hears people that are hurting and broken, like what's on Jesus' heart? Like what, what does he hear? And that started to change everything for me. And God began to do that very thing. He answers, do you know that God answers prayer? It's unbelievable. When you ask him, <laughs> be careful what you ask for because he'll answer it. Not all the time in the way you think, but God starts to, to break my heart for those very people. And my question for you, I want you to start thinking about this, not just in a citywide sense, but in your home, with your spouse, with your kids, in your neighborhood, on your block, in your workplace. What are you hearing these days? Are you listening? And what, is God, what, is, what does God feel about the things that you're hearing? And I got to thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we had something that could really help us know what's going on, if we could like to truly get to the heart of things. As whenever we're walking around, I could, I could put it up to the side of a building or to a house or to somebody's heart, and we could just like hear like what's going on in there. What, what do they love? What are they passionate about? Like, what, wouldn't it be cool if we had like a stethoscope for life? You know what I mean? They're just like a giant stethoscope that we could just stick on things and go, oh, that's what's going on inside, right? Now, maybe some of you have seen this before, but I think it's worth showing again. But I think that they invented the real thing. It's a magic stethoscope that not only could we listen to the heartbeat of the city, but we could listen to each other. In fact, anything. Let's take a look at this. You want one, don't you? Does anybody want one of those, right? <laughs> Some of you are wondering, wow, that would be awesome if I could do that, right? So my question for you this morning is if we did have one of those and you stuck it to your neighborhood, what would you hear? If you stuck it to your your neighbor's house, that might be kind of weird, but what would you hear? Maybe, more importantly, what would happen if you put it right here? And I'm not talking about your physical heart. What are you passionate about? What breaks your heart? Maybe that's the most important thing. I was thinking a couple weeks ago when we did our Surf Saturday event, I think a lot of us went in, including myself, went into that event thinking, look at all these good deeds we're going to do for the community. And we did, but I think a lot of us left that day with broken hearts because we encountered people and we heard stories and things that changed us. And isn't it true that when we go and do outreach and missions, we think that it's going to be the people that are on the receiving end that are going to get the most out of it, but actually we're the ones who are changed? And we left that day with broken hearts, and I think maybe that's what God wanted all along. And some of you are saying, you know, John, if you put that stethoscope to my heart, I got some songs that you'd hear, right? Probably Rolling Stones or Justin Bieber or something like that. I don't know where that come from, right? No, really, here's the question. When you put that stethoscope up to God's heart, what is he feeling? That's why we read the Bible, so we know what God's character is. We know what that looks like. And ideally, as Jesus' disciples, as we're becoming more and more like Jesus, God's son, if you put that stethoscope up to God's heart and you put it up to our heart, it would be beating in the same way. Passionate about the lost passionate about those who are hurting and broken and are in need. So is your heart 
aligned with the beat of God's heart. Have you ever thought about that? And guess what? (laughs) We get to actually do that because a man named Jesus Christ walked this earth in our shoes 2,000 years ago and gives us a picture of who God is and what he's passionate about. If you can, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to start this morning. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Just a really quick little short passage here. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. So Jesus is approaching the city of Jerusalem for the final time. Like we're getting close to when he's going to be crucified in his final week on earth. And he's working through the crowd all around him. And as Jesus often does, he gets away by himself to stop and listen to the world around him. And Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem. He's overlooking the city of people that will spit on him, that will beat him, that will mock him, that will eventually crucify him, which includes all of us because of our sin, because of our brokenness. And we get down to verse 41. And just this short little powerful verse, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he did what? He began to weep. Boy, I'd like to to know what's inside of his heart. And we get that right here. Not condemnation, not fix yourself, not figure your life out, not get cleaned up, and then you can come into your relationship with me. Jesus' heart is breaking for the people that don't know him. Not with judgment or fear, but with compassion because he slowed down to look. And so when you look over the city, what do you see today? What do you hear? Or are our days, and I'm including myself in this, like I'm writing this sermon this week, and I'm John, preach to yourself, John, preach to yourself. Come on, I need to hear this too, right? Or are our days so full of calendar appointments that we go from thing to thing to thing to thing, and we miss out on everything that God has around us if we would slow down, stop, and listen. We get so consumed with our little world sometimes that it's so easy to just look out for ourselves. All I'm concerned about is right here. And if I can just make it through another week at work, then I will be good. If I can just seek some pleasure on Friday or Saturday night, then I'll be good. And as long as I'm feeling safe and comfortable, then I'm in good shape. I was thinking about that this week. Any text people that text out there, be honest. Do you text? You have cell phones? Okay. Not everybody. That's okay. But some of us text. Um, so, okay, raise your hands. How many of you like to text? Just once again. How many of you like to text while you're driving? Okay, one of you is being honest and the rest of you are lying. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> we, we all do it sometimes, right? Uh, there's these hands-free things now or whatever, but I'm guilty of this too. And so, do you remember a couple uh, Christmases ago when it was just like a crazy blizzard, right? And the interstates were just crazy and people were flipping upside down and everything. Tiffany and I are driving to Marshalltown at like... 11.30 at night, because we got to get home for Christmas. Like, this is her first Christmas away from her family. We got to get home for Christmas, right? So we're driving along, and speaking of texting while driving, this car goes whizzing past us. We're on 235, okay? There are cars flipped upside down, laying on the side of the road. The cops are saying, stay off the road. It's a sheet of ice. We're like the only people out there. And then this car comes whizzing past us, 
And you ever see those people after a snowstorm that just didn't take the time to clean it off, right? Their entire car is covered like an igloo except for the front windshield, right? So they're driving like this. They can't see anything around them. Like, man, that's really unsafe. And as we, we kind of, they kind of come up on us, I look back really quick in their windshield and guess what the guy's doing? Texting! In a blizzard, in a snowstorm. And Tiffany and I like look at each other like sim- simultaneously and literally at the same time say, what are you thinking? Right? What are you doing? Do you have any clue what's going on around you? And I wonder, folks, if that's how we live our lives. Even those of us that here, here every week and we come to church, and please don't get me wrong, we love it that you're here. Jesus did not come to make us feel comfortable. If Jesus would have started a church today in Des Moines, it would be the smallest church in Des Moines. Because his slogan would be, come die. Come die to yourself. Honestly. So like the the call to follow Jesus is not like come and seek pleasure all the time. It's come and find life. Come and find peace, a deeper joy, a freedom that you've never experienced before. And we miss it. If we're like the guy that's texting, that's covered in his igloo, we live our lives like that a lot. And we're going to miss it, the opportunity to join Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. And please don't get me wrong. It's a get to, not a got to. Amen? Because we know last week we talked about grace, right? And that's the trampoline that launches us into mission. So everything we're talking today has nothing to do with you earning anything or being a better Christian or, man, if I serve the poor more, then I'll get more bonus points from Jesus. There aren't any bonus points, right? You got them. He's already given you everything, right? Jesus says, all I have is yours. So it's a get to, not a got to. But sometimes we just do things to be comfortable. And you know, we talk about community a lot here. We're always talking, get in a small group, join a small group, join a life group. And some of you are like, geez, why? That's how we best carry out Jesus' mission is in community. But if we don't stop and look and listen, we will end up doing community in a way that's only convenient for us, in a way that meets our needs with people that look like us, talk like us, feel like us, shop where we do, live where we do, smell like we do, eat what we do. And we call that Christian community. Instead, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Enter Jesus. What does he get in trouble for the most? Hanging out with people that he shouldn't. Hanging out with all the people that nobody else wants to hang out with. The broken, the sinners, the outcasts. You're in Luke. Flip back a couple chapters to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's the first gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So just a couple books back. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus got invited over to a dinner party with some robbers and thieves and prostitutes. And he says, you better believe I'll be there. These are my friends. Well, it just so turns out there are some people called the Pharisees that are there as well, and man, do they know their Bibles. They worship every week. They're in the synagogues. And Jesus' disciples. So we got 
the outcasts, the sinners over here. Then we've got Jesus' disciples, who are also a messed up group of guys. And then we've got the Pharisees that we assume have it all together. And we pick it up, Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. The Pharisees turn to Jesus, who is having a good old time with the ragtag crowd, and they say, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees asked. And Jesus responds, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I didn't come to be comfortable. I came to get messy in your lives. In fact, because of the amount of time that Jesus spent with the people he shouldn't have been hanging out with, this is his nickname, Jesus, friend of sinners. I love that nickname. What if that was your nickname? What if that was your reputation? Uh, How many friends, not acquaintances, not mission project people, how many genuine friends do you have that have never and will never maybe step inside the foot of a church building? If we're going to live and model our lives as disciples after Jesus, we should walk in the way that he walked, which means he spent a majority of his time not with the religious people. They drove him crazy. No, Jesus says it's, it's for these people. I, I came to get messy. Jesus says, that's my nickname, not because there are projects to fix, and if we're, if we're not careful, we'll make all our missions things projects. We're going to go do a mission project. People aren't projects. They're people, right? They're, they're, they're God's people. Jesus says, no, they're, they're friends. They're actually, when you have friends, you actually look forward to hanging out with them. When you have friends, you are intentionally seeking them out. And so Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus says, I came for those people who long to be known for who they really are as a child of God with a name. And that includes you. When you picture that scene, they're all around a table. Jesus, disciples, Pharisees, sinners. Which group of people do you, would you normally associate yourself with? I'd probably say the Pharisees, the religious people, or the disciples, right? Do you ever put yourself on the outcast side of the table? What if we flipped ourselves to the other side of the table and for once we put ourselves in that category because that's who we are? We're just people that long to be known for who we are as well, right? Every single one of us. So often in the church, we categorize people as, well, over here are the haves, and then over here are the have-nots. Here's the people that give, and here's the people that receive. There's us, and then there's them. There's people that are like me, and then there's people not like me. And it wouldn't have surprised me if at some point during that dinner party, the Pharisees asked Jesus something like that, or Jesus asked the Pharisees, as they're condemning and as they're mocking and they're, as they're shooing these people away, Jesus asked the Pharisees, hey, do you know their names? Uh, what was that, Rabbi? <laughs> their names? 
course I don't know their names. Who has time to learn their names? Well, Jesus says, I do. Because they have names and, and stories. Jesus says, has it ever crossed your mind that every single person's story is valuable and it needs to be heard? I can imagine Jesus looking right at the Pharisees and saying, have you ever taken the time to listen? Well, no, our, our heads are in the Bibles. We're studying the Bible the whole time. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Stop, be fully present with the people that you're with. And so instead of talking about it, what I want to do for a couple minutes here, we've never done anything like this before, and some of you, this is going to be out of your comfort zone. Good. What we're going to do is we're going to reenact that scene as if we were all on the side of the table of the outcasts and the people that have names and have stories, but nobody's ever taken the time to listen to. Every single one of us, same, level at the foot of the cross. So what I'm going to challenge you to do for the next two to three minutes, really short, not going to make it too uncomfortable for you, I want you to stand up, not right now, when I say go, I want you to go to the other side of the room, like not the people that you're currently sitting with. I want you to find one person that you have never talked to before, that you've never met. There's got to be somebody, okay? There's a few of us here today, right? We're going to put some questions up on the screen. If you don't get through them all, that's fine. If you want to talk about something else, that's fine too. Like you can talk about how the Cubs are terrible or whatever you want to talk about, right? If you need some help, I would encourage you to talk about those four questions. Your name, how long you've been at Hope, one thing that you're thankful for, and then I want you to share a prayer request with that person. If you feel comfortable praying for them on the spot, do it. We encourage that. If you feel uncomfortable praying out loud, that's totally fine. What I would encourage you to do is grab a pen from those baskets on either end and write that prayer request down in your bulletin and the person's name and pray for them this week. So I'm going to give you two to three minutes, and then we're going to come back. So don't leave, because we've got some stuff right after this. Find somebody you don't know. Go for it. Take about another minute and finish up. Take about one more minute. All right. Go ahead and find your seat, if you can. Go ahead and wrap up. Head back to your seat. Stop building so many relationships, you people. Man, you like to talk. Go ahead and find your seat. I want to share just a couple things about what you just experienced. First of all, some of you are saying, John, I need more time. You know what my response to that is? You have the rest of your life. What if that wasn't a church Sunday morning activity? What if that's how we lived our lives? Incarnationally. In other people's lives. To be a church that's constantly looking beyond our walls and looking for who to connect with. I want to close this morning with a story before we worship together. And God agrees. He's humming along. I heard a story of a, a lighthouse once. Maybe some of you have heard this story. Maybe of you haven't. But it had a small life-saving station with a modest lighthouse, a building, and only one boat. 
And the lighthouse was small, but it also had a powerful beam. And it was located near a reef on, on, on a great lake where shipwrecks frequently occurred. And there was a few dedicated individuals who kept constant watch and they would scan the water for any signs of people that were out there drowning or in trouble. And so many lives were rescued over the years, but this, this little life-saving station grew and it became more popular and people gave their time and their talents and their treasures to support the life-saving work. There was new boats that were purchased, new crews trained, and the little life-saving station grew rapidly. Well, over time, some of the members became dissatisfied with the crude and poorly equipped building and the, the increased workload in caring for those that were rescued. They felt that a more comfortable place was needed. So they tore down the hut and they built a great big building and put up new furnishings. And now that the, the station was fully decorated, it became a popular meeting place and members began to call it the club because they enjoyed being together in a rich and comfortable fellowship. And many members lost interest in the life-saving missions. So there was professionals, professional crews that were brought in and hired to do the dirty work. And all the life-saving vision was still embraced as the purpose of the club, it was no longer their primary mission. Well, about this time, a large ship crashed into the coast and the professional crews brought in boatloads of people that were hurting, that were bleeding, that, 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 were, that were broken and it just sent the club into chaos. And so the property committee decided to build an outside shelter far away from the club so that they didn't have to get messy. And so at the next meeting there was a split between the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to terminate all the life-saving activities which they'd come to see as too time-consuming and too costly. And besides, the activities were becoming a hindrance to the real needs of the members of the club. But a few of the members continued to insist that no, the mission is to be a life-saving station. And they marched down the shore and they built another small little hut with a single boat whose singular purpose was to scan the waters for any that were in need of help, for anyone that needed to be invited in. And today on that same seacoast, there are many clubs and there are many shipwrecks, but very few life-saving operations. Jesus came to seek and save to seek and save those who are lost. And let me make one thing clear. Our job is to point people to the only person that can save them, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not us. We don't point people to us. We point them to him. And my prayer is that we will never stop looking out to sea, that we will never stop being a little hut with a few tiny boats, whose sole driving passion and purpose is for people that are not yet here. 
So let's keep on serving breakfast on Sunday mornings. Let's keep those buses going every week. Amen. Let's keep mentoring God's kids here at Hubble. Let's keep opening our doors to everyone and anyone. And better than that, let's go out and reach the people that will never step inside those doors because they're God's children too. And just like you, they have a name and they have a story. Let's live like Jesus did. Let's go and be that church this week. Let's stand. As we move into worship, I would, I would encourage you to just be fully present here right now. And, and Kim and the team are just going to lead us. Just as fully present as you were with your, your conversation partner. If you didn't get a chance to pray, just pray for them in the silence of your own heart right now. And let's worship together. And let's ask God, as this song leads us into, let's ask God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am, God, for your kingdom's cause. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let's sing together.